Hey everybody and welcome to the Darkcast. This is DCI number 42 and I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. In this episode, Brian and I got to talk to Allison Hune, who's the CEO of My Dream Interactive, a company that's currently working on a game called My Dream that's uh, relatively similar to Minecraft in that you get to craft uh, buildings, you get to make devices, terraform the world, all kinds of things. But it's also got some other creative aspects to it, like being able to create your own quests. Uh, It's also meant to be a little more uh, family and kid-friendly. We had a really great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. If you want to find out more information about DarkStation, you can do that at DarkStation.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at DarkStation underscore com. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, we are The DarkCast, and we are on iTunes. While you're there, give us a review and let us know what you think of the show. And finally, if you want to send us an email, you can do that at podcast at darkstation.com. For more information about my dream, check out the links in the show notes to this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Now on with the show. Allison for being on the show with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Recovering from a cold, but I'm glad we're not doing this in person. <laughs> yeah, that Germ Fest 2014, that would be great. But yeah, no, because I as well am recovering from a cold. So yeah, that probably would not be the best situation. Yeah. We just propagate our own sickness, so that, that wouldn't be good. Trade. Thank you, like, yeah. for bringing us together germs-free. That is right. right. Thank you, Microsoft, for making Skype, or buying Skype after somebody else made it, however that worked. Um, So, uh, today we're here to talk about uh, your game, My Dream, which is at the very tippy-toe end of its Kickstarter, and you guys have met your goal, Um, and it's a a game about creation and, and building and collaboration and all that kind of fun stuff, but before we get to that, if we could kind of talk about... Um, what you do at My Dream uh, Software and kind of what your day-to-day job is and how you got into games and, and stuff like that. So I guess start off with just, you know, who are you? Okay, so um, I'm Allison, and I basically kind of stumbled into this industry. I was working as um, an engineer, VP of engineer, uh, developing robotics software artificial intelligence systems at Willow Garage, um, an incubator that my husband and I run. So we've incubated a bunch of pretty large-scale um, 3D um, and uh, robotic operating system type uh, projects. And um, while I was doing that, I was thinking about, wow, you know, this, this whole market of uh, creativity uh, games, especially for kids, it's really big, especially with Minecraft. Like, my kids were really into Minecraft, but the graphics were just awful. And here I am doing these very large-scale 3D uh, open-source projects like Point Cloud Library um, and Robotic Operating System that has thousands of open-source developers. I'm like, I kind of have the resource to make a better version of Minecraft and to scale it. Um, and so 
And then I had the cultural interest, too, because uh, my kids were telling me exactly what they liked about Minecraft, what they didn't like about it. And, you know, my whole community, my neighborhood kids were basically living in my uh, basement playing Minecraft. I'm like, great, you know, I should really try to figure out how to get into this business. And so I started it as like a side, you know, project. I had you know, a few people on the side just prototyping it. And um, it just morphed into my dream interactive. And, you know, here we are um, on Kickstarter having raised 115000 in just a few weeks um, with a live uh, uh, alpha uh, build for the Mac and a very early beta for the PC. Um, and it's multi-user. Um, in the world, you can go for 100 kilometers in any direction, XYZ axis. It's realistic and it's totally deformable. So I'm super stoked and excited that it has actually evolved into you know this great grand project, um, and it's all based on this voxel technology using marching cubes, which many people didn't think would be possible. By the way, marching cubes was um, was first released at SIGGRAPH. So um, Jonathan and I were talking about that before Brian came on board. Um, and yeah, so SIGGRAPH is this great um, graphics convention that's an offshoot of ACM, the American Computing and Machinery um, Association for all the computer geeks out there. And uh, there's been great algorithms and technology developed. And so our, um, our voxel uh, engine is based on that. And there's been a lot of experimentation in the last 20 years. And no one's really been able to put together something that works. And so we were able to kind of put it together. And now we're releasing it to the public and looking to uh, raise awareness as well as funds to add really exciting gameplay elements such as rock monsters in a survival, in you know adventure, in farming um, uh, modes to the game. So um, that's kind of like a big picture summary of how I got into the gaming industry and how I arrive at where I am today. Very cool. Now, what what is your education actually, and what what did you do before my dream? So I was at Willow Garage, and that was a robotics incubator. I've been working as an engineer, VP of engineer, engineering management, programmer, developer, on and off for about fifteen twenty years. I originally came to Stanford University to study math and engineering and computer science, and so kind of went through that path. Um, so yeah, I mean, this, this company is a first for me in so many dimensions. First time I'm a CEO, kind of like really on the business side and not just on the technology architecture side. First time being in the games industry. Um, so it's very exciting to me. Very, very cool. Um, so let's talk about uh, my dream, uh, the company, for a little bit. Where are you guys actually located? We're in Palo Alto, about a few uh, thousand feet away from the university. <laughs> okay. 
And how many, um, how, how big are you guys? How many employees do you have? We're, uh, we have four core developers and then a few other folks that are helping out with, um, with the projects, contractors, and, um, and artists. So it's a really nice, small indie group, right? A, a true indie shop. Very cool. That's, uh, it's a pretty big game to, to make with not a terribly large studio. That's that's pretty awesome. I know. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's really kind of cool to look at how the, the industry cha has changed in just, you know, four or five years when, you know, to, to make anything remotely like this, you would have had to, you know, had a hundred people or whatever. It's, it's, it's quite, I'm quite proud of the industry, even though I, I have no... You know, reason to be proud of it. It's not mine or anything, but it's just kind of makes you feel good. Yeah, I mean, you cover the industry, and I think that's one of the reason why my Dream Interactive has been able to be so innovative is because I'm bringing a lot of know-how from different industry, and it's a good hybrid. Um, our lead developer is a you know amazing game developer for more than 20 years. Um, who's at Microsoft DirectX team, uh, wrote his own voxel engine that was featured uh, on the Unity front page at the Hobby Project. His name's Mark Davis. Shout out to Mark. Mark's the best. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, I'm, uh, I have some know-how in doing very large engineering projects on the very cheap side. <laughs> So that helped the project as well. Uh, and then, you know, having everything really algorithmically driven, procedurally generated, so we don't need to have hundreds of artists um, architecting things, so that way we don't incur technical debt, which is one of our favorite words here at My Dream Interactive. Technical debt. <laughs> yeah, when you do a big ambitious tech project, you don't want to incur that on the server side, on the client side. So, um, yeah, it's it's just nice that when you have, uh, you know, they always talk about like diversity of people in a group, right? There's a better likelihood of innovation. There's um, you know, like a better, you know, uh, 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 acceleration for uh, innovation when there's just like diverse perspectives. And I really feel that's the case that we have at our company, me being a woman, minority woman, also coming from a totally different industry than the rest of the, the developers here. It's made us really robust and challenged some of our thinking on how to do things, right? Oh, absolutely, because you don't come in with any of the, you know, like, you, you especially since you're kind of, you know, you're kind of at the head and you're running stuff, you don't have any of those, like, pre-built things that you have to think you have to get around. You're coming in very fresh, and it, it's, to me, that sounds like it's a great approach for the the veterans that are working with you, because it's, it's something new for them and new ideas <laughs> for them to pull in. I think so. Sometimes they think it's frustrating, but I think... Oh, yeah. Well, because you guys... Yeah, like especially if you're coming from more of a like an engineering background to their kind of games background, it's still it's like a I I would almost say it's almost like French and Italian. You guys both eventually speak the same language, like you know you come yeah. from the same place, but they're both they're both different branches and offshoots. Mm-hmm. 
No, that's a really good comparison. Yeah, that's a really nice analogy. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously it hasn't been like super smooth, but the proof is in the pudding, right? You can look at our alpha, our beta build. You know, for an voxel engine, it's running on Mac. It's running on a $200 PC, which people didn't think was possible um, for something that's based on marching cubes. So it's kind of exciting that we, you know, we got the the core creative mode working. And now it's really, you know, me going out there and really selling our vision of being like this new kind of creative platform where, um, you know, hopefully we can get more folks on the internet after Kickstarter to continue to back our project so that way we can fund, you know, really amazing gameplay um, and game systems on top of the creative mode. So obviously the, the the creative mode is kind of the main the main gist of it, and I know that there's a lot of especially on the the Kickstarter site, you guys have a lot of a lot of pictures and some videos up about how the and I mean it, it looks it looks really impressive, especially when you know you know you kind of mentioned the uh, like Minecraft and it's clear uh, like kind of inspiration there, um, but when you take it into like where you know where you're messing with voxels and you're messing with the marching cubes. And you've got these almost like freeform rock shapes that people are creating. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> how how in depth does that create mode get? I'm sorry, someone was coughing. Sorry, that was me. <laughs> Man, Jonathan. Yeah. Uh, how in depth does that create mode get? How how far are you able to take it? I know, like like Minecraft. Obviously, you have your your kind of your, your structure block limits. Everything is. Uh, Everything is very kind of you know straight and and you build in in sets and patterns and that kind of stuff. Right. What's what's available creatively on your side that kind of sets it apart from that that particular um, kind of way of doing things? Right. So um, voxels is a more flexible way of uh, dealing with the uh, 3D virtual environment. So voxels is basically the smallest atomic. Um, uh, element that you have in a 3D uh, system, right? So it would be the equivalent of a pixel in a 2D environment. And so dealing with a voxel, you're able to have more realistic textures. Um, so in-game, without getting too geeky, um, we're able to have uh, uh, terrain edits, right, that affects the terrain you can sculpt. Uh, hillsides, mountainsides, you can dig realistic tunnels and caverns. Um, in terms of uh, the building materials, um, they are um, voxel elements, and we have them as blocks, we, them, we have them as corner pieces, um, cornices, columns, so it provides for a very wide variety of uh, building libraries that, um, you know, attracts a, a more diverse clientele, right? Like women, for example, love to decorate, girls love to decorate, and so having things from uh, pre-Columbian um, um, artifact cladding to, you know, Greco-Roman columns can really uh, dress up, um, you know, folks' uh, dollhouses, mansions, and castles, and, you know, help to really personalize 
that uh, that experience and, and bring it to the next level, right? So we really want to create, uh, allow users to create dynamic content and have the world kind of evolve and grow. And um, the only way that you know it can really do that is um, if we allow people to kind of you know manipulate it um, on you know uh, in this uh, you know atomic level. Uh, but in a very easy-to-use interface. Okay, so not, not only is it just the, the freeform creation, but you're also offering, like, you know, a tile set and something more more structured if you have an idea of what you need to do but don't quite have the hand to do it yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just like a wider library of prefabs that um, are voxel-based that um, can really help dress up the um, um, the you know the uh, the structures and the buildings and you know uh, make someone's imagination come to life. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I definitely see where that's going. All right, now the the Kickstarter also made mention of like um you know go, kind of going past that. I know you mentioned it earlier about uh, uh, like almost like an adventure mode, um, but something that was. Uh, pretty non-violent as far as more more focused on kind of the exploration part of that. Um, can you explain how that's going to work? Yeah, so I mean I'm super excited about that um, and with some of these funds we're hoping to attract a fabulous game designer on board. Um, right now we don't have anyone full time. Uh, we have some amazing game developers and you know our favorite games are obviously Minecraft, Myst, Ultima, um, Journey, and we're borrowing heavily from those games and then obviously, you know, um, twisting, offering a unique twist to that. Um, but we really see our core expertise right now, like I was mentioning, offering this creative platform that is based on substantial technology, and that's my background, um, but I'm Super excited about the the future of uh, of the gameplay, offering an adventure mode um, or survival mode that is really engaging to folks, right? And so um, that's what we're doing right now with our uh, Kickstarter campaign, and we'll continue to do that after it ends in about 72 hours to raise the funds for that. Um, but we're fairly, you know, dialed in with the creative platform, uh, but moving forward, we would love to have awesome rock monsters in our um, survival mode, and, uh, you know, they are considered enemy, enemy combatants. Um, you can see images and uh, depictions of them in our, uh, on our website and our Kickstarter video, so it's very action-packed. Uh, dangerous terrain, uh, spikes, um, canyons, cliffs where you can uh, fall down and die. Uh, you can have these rock creatures attack you. So it is a very intense environment if you choose it to be. But that's really left up to the player. Yeah. Or the creator, rather. <laughs> yeah, it's the player or the creator. And we're really, you know, allowing people to play. And if they wanted to, they can flip it and, um, you know, create their own quest. There's the, loving, the leveling systems, the treasure hunts, 
right? So uh, it depends on how they want to um, go into the game as a player, and then as they get more experience, then they could flip it and then be, you know, the um, the game creator eventually. And you see that um, in terms of other industries such as YouTube, you're not just the consumer, it's user-generated content. Now the, now the user is now is the producer. I think that's really cool, right, with where technology is taking us. And I do believe games is going into that space. Look at Minecraft, for example. You know, it's a great example of that. Um, and other games, too, such as The Sims modding community. It's huge in these other games. And uh, we're really kind of uh, standing on the shoulders of these giants. We're not, you know, innovating uh, community-generated content for games. You know, other companies have done that. But we're really looking to um, make that a big, explicit component in our game. That's awesome. Now, you mentioned um, you mentioned kind of Journey as an inspiration, too. Mm -hmm. And one of the cool things that Journey did was um, was the way it handled multiplayer. Um, how are you guys going to kind of, how are you planning on bringing folks together for the, uh, you know, to kind of experience their own dreams? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that was a very amazing kind of insight that they had, and it gave a very zen-like, yet um, was also a closed experience as well. So, um, for us, we have a different approach just because of our philosophy in terms of community-generated content, right? And so, obviously, for anyone under, you know, 18, there are rules and regulation about um, social networks and user-generated content that we would have to abide by and keep um, content closed within someone's social network. Um, but besides that, we really believe in the power of the crowd and the community that, in fact, it is a good thing. Um, and you just have to have that perspective, which we totally embrace. Um, and uh, we love Journey. We love the Zen-like nature of the atmosphere. Um, I, I guess Janelle Verchen would uh, argue that um, the, the multiplayer, the two-person multiplayer, contributed to that because it lessens the noise. Um, but we really feel that because we have such a robust system that allows for engagement through building, exploration, for 100 kilometers in each direction, that um, you know the chat capability and the multiplayer griefing will, be, will not be um, a huge issue for us. Um, and then we've already developed some technology to, to help with that, you know, such as, you know, if the kids are under, you know, 17, 18, um, they are enclosed in this little walled garden. Um, for, uh, for social building, world owners have access to permission blocks. So if they're building like an awesome castle, they don't want anyone to breathe, then they, um, they place these permission blocks that then um, uh, prevent anyone else from editing in that area. And so they can specify... Neat, okay. Mm -hmm. so they That's specify a really cool idea. 
Yeah, it's live. So it's in our alpha and our beta. And so, you know, some of the images that you see on our Kickstarter page, you know, super users have been spending hundreds of hours on it. And it was like one of their first requests. They're like, you, you need to, you know, work on something to prevent griefing. And yeah, if uh, I'm building this castle, I don't want, you know, Joe Schmo just coming in here tearing stuff down. I can 100% understand that. Mm -hmm. How how open is, like, you know, uh, is that kind of, uh, the, I guess, server architecture where uh, is everybody on kind of the same 100-kilometer, you know, cube? Or, how, you know, can I have my own? Can I only invite certain people in? What's What's kind of the plan for that? How, or how is it working now, rather, since you've got kind of a an early beta, early alpha going? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, we've got a really cool server architecture. And at the end of the day, it's really based on the, the UX. What is the user experience, right? And so um, uh, the very interesting thing with uh, building and creation and our insight is that, you know, people don't usually want to you know, do these projects with more than, um, you know, 10, 20 people, right? And most of these projects are done in groups of four to five. So we are multiplayer, and we can host up to 20 players in our world. And sometimes there are, like, massive worlds in Minecraft. But most of the time, at any given time, it's 20 people playing. And so we architected the, the world and the experience um, behind that assumption. And so we host our servers ourselves, right? And we have like the UX to guide um, the users, you know, in this experience that I talked about. Um, we have featured worlds with ratings. So it's kind of like a Yelp review for the worlds, right? Like, okay, you know, this world is, you know, historical, modern worlds. It allows you to uh, rate um, you know, which one you think, um, you know, is, uh, you know, is the best world, you know, according to your metrics, and then the best content uh, really flows up. It's very common in user-generated content systems. Um, we have something that's really novel that I totally love, and we're working on this, and uh, it's a creative uh, functionality. Um, and it really talks about the, the origin of creativity. And you could say it's a creative function or it's a borrowing function. So basically, um, you can go and borrow other people's structures. And um, what I mean by that is that you can basically copy it and then paste it into another part of the world or your own world um, Right, but the whole um, uh, the whole um, um, I guess uh, creative um, uh, 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 logs of who actually built that world, the percentage that they built is a meta tag of that world. So when you you know scan over that world, it says, oh hey, Roy Boy fourteen, you know actually made this you know, in, um, in Allison's world, in Jonathan's world, and Jonathan, you know, contributed 14% to this castle. That's so neat. So even if, even if somebody, you know, you build a great castle, if people like it and people kind of grab that, you're still kind of getting, you know, almost your artist credit, your artist signature on it. 
Exactly, exactly. I'm sorry, I'm like on Dayquil and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're doing fine. Okay, thank you. You were doing fine. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of concepts, a lot of things we're reaching for. I, the day, believe me, the Dayquil phase, you're you're fighting it quite well. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, now earlier, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, earlier you talked about you know creating adventures and and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that kind of work? I, I feel like people probably have a pretty good picture of creating, you know, structures and terrain deformation and stuff like that, but uh, do you get to design, mm-hmm. like, AI patterns for enemies and create, you know, points of, of interest so that, you know, things happen, you know, monster jumps out of the closet or whatever, creates story mm-hmm. bubbles, like, how how will those adventures kind of Right, so things. those are all in the works. We love that, right? So we have, you know, story quests that involve um, AI, NPCs. You set the patterns for them, the pathfinding algorithms, pre, pre-written uh, pathfinding algorithms for them to kind of follow that. That's really cool, having more of an interactive fiction type element where you're kind of designing your own kind of 3D adventure novel within my dream. Mm-hmm. So those are the elements that we've, um, uh, we would love to see. Obviously, right now, we have the creative mode and we have a bare bones adventure system, which is basically, you know, point A to point B with our chest. So we have these chests and we have our maps and so you can then uh, put down uh, chests, which are basically caches. You could add uh, jewels, materials, uh, potions uh, to them as kind of like a player slash creator slash level designer, and then um, uh, and 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 then set that as point A, set mm-hmm. point B um, with another cache with another treasure chest, right? Uh, point C, point D and uh, so on so forth and you can create adventures like you would go um, in mist and at each of these uh, locations um, we have signs slash scrolls so they give you know uh, clues as to um, where the next point will be and by the way here are some really cool things that you need to uh, to help you with surviving and, um, uh, and and questing as you go from point A to point B. So we are well on our way right now with those functionalities, but having things that are more robust, integrated with uh, AI, NPCs, that's kind of down the line, and that's why we really need um, to, uh, to, to really engage the community and get people to help support us uh, so we can get the funding to uh, create these um, AI um, and NPCs in a multi-world environment. Um, It's actually quite complicated uh, to do that. So that's why a lot of indie companies, if you notice on Kickstarter, um, and even post-Kickstarter, they usually do just single-player mode because to get uh, a lot of this uh, game logic uh, for the NPCs to work with a multi-user environment um, adds a large degree of complexity to uh, to the game. <laughs> I bet. 
Yeah, there absolutely is a higher difficulty there when you added more than one person. Yeah. That's especially with, with with something that where you're giving the player an awful lot of agency as far as creation and, and making their own way to mm-hmm. have multiple people doing multiple things. Um, you know, not only do you have to make sure your tools are set, but you have to make sure that 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 your your program is able to to not only speak their language but to support all of that. Yeah, there's a lot of thinking back and forth between all the actions. All you know, it's not like a regular. Uh, multi-user game where you're just walking around the world. Right here, you're walking around. You're you're terraforming. You're editing the uh, the world, and so you need to you know communicate all those edits. The NPCs need to communicate all their actions in the world as well. So there's a lot of communication back and forth. So uh, we need to uh, relay that in a very you know reliable, robust fashion for the players. So that's all fun, not to get really geeky. Um, yeah, we're all geeks. Just the game, it's fine. Yeah. the game <laughs> That's perfectly fine. So, so uh, speaking of communication and kind of getting the word out there, um, you guys, you had your Kickstarter. Um, it's still, you know, by the t- we're recording this now. There's still a couple hours left. Um, probably by the time this goes up, you guys will be, you know, finalized. Um, how was your experience with that? I mean, you guys got funded. Um, how, how, how much time did you spend kind of in preparation to get the Kickstarter going? And then kind of what was it like uh, while it was happening? Oh, it's been such an amazing experience. It did take a lot of time. Um, so, And I learned so much. I didn't really know that much about Kickstarter. Um, and now in the last three months, I've backed 28 projects. I've made so many good friends and um, in different industries too, they really highlight uh, different art, theater, um, photography, clothing, fashion, games, and it's all kind of very integrated in their funky interface. So I love Kickstarter obviously because it's you know giving us the funds to further development, but also helping us to find the people we need. Um, for example. Um, um, this um, this gentleman by the name of Dan, who is awesome with uh, marketing, um, you know, actually was one of our backers, and um, we met him through Kickstarter, and he's kind of given us really great, useful uh, advice. He's helped uh, a bunch of gaming companies, AAA all the way down to indie, and he liked what we did, and he just was so nice and you know, gave us a really great Kickstarter discount. Um, the same with uh, the site called Curse. Um, they are just like a wonderful community site. Um, I've been trying to get in touch with uh, with them for a while, and you know, now that we're on Kickstarter, it's obviously easier um, to to get in touch with them when they, you know, they reach out to us. Um, and uh, it's the same thing with uh, with the with Steam as well. We're getting a lot of traction on Steam. We wanted to be on Steam, um, and the whole uh, green lighting uh, process on Steam can be very laborious and slow. And Kickstarter has really like kickstarted that whole uh, greenlit process. So, uh, in terms of just 
kickstarting uh, our project in so many dimensions on like the marketing, on partners such as Curse, which, you know, Curse, Steam, these are folks that I've been reaching out and have not gotten very good traction because we're this very, very small indie dev shop that no one's heard of. Within a few weeks of being on Kickstarter, folks from those community reached out to us and it was just a lot easier to have a conversation with. Ah, kind of like, you know, you, at first you're starting out as the new kids at the party, but once they see that you're, that this is serious, that you guys are really moving on, they're actually the ones reaching out. That's kind of neat to hear. Yeah, and it, it, took, it took place in a matter of weeks, so um, it's been an amazing ride. I totally recommend it to, to anyone who has an art or game, any type of fashion project with a really unique twist that you know, um, looking for funding and and looking to kind of build their community and get it out to market, right? You're going to meet so many cool people along the way to help you. And I actually think a lot of them will be lifelong friends. That's kind of my feeling. I don't know. I've just met them for, you know, a few weeks. But uh, it's been a really good experience so far. Fantastic. That is super awesome. Um, now, you mentioned before we started the podcast that you guys are still going to be doing fundraising um, afterwards, after the Kickstarter is over, so people can still back. Uh, what are some of the current rewards that people can get when they when they back your project, and what are some of the things that they can you know expect to be able to get after Kickstarter is over? Yeah, we have so many fun things on our Kickstarter site, obviously. After Kickstarter, we're going to cut um, some of the very high-end levels off. We'll just, we won't be able to support some of those very unique specialty items. So it's kind of like a last-minute rush if people wanted to get, you know, the, the autographed um, uh, design book that's leather-bounded by our creative artists, right? So stuff like that we're not going to have post-Kickstarter. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very classic, um, kind of, um, backer donation pre-order system that a lot of Kickstarter projects have. And so we'll move towards that direction, um, just because we really need it because this is such a big ambitious project. The core creative mode is done. But like I described to you with um, all the things that need to be done with a multi-user environment, with dynamic gameplay, with the AI and NPCs, we think our core system is very robust, but we need to have continue, continuing support before we officially, officially, you know, are polished and launch as a done game. Um, so... Right now, it's $5, um, and, and people get access to the My Dream beta, um, and then we have, uh, you know, uh, $45, you get a rock uh, creature pet to run around with you in My Dream when the game launches. Um, you get wings to fly around in, in the world. Um, which are really cool because uh, without the wings, you have to kind of walk uh, like uh, 
everybody else, right? So that if you pledge $60, you get the wings. Um, obviously, after Kickstarter, uh, the prices will go up. So um, there has to be an incentive for folks to uh, to pledge right now. So after Kickstarter, we might bump it up a few dollars for each of the rewards. Um, but uh, we're going to cut it off at about the, the $100 reward uh, level. So at a $100 pledge, you get a 3D avatar of your, um, of your My Dream character. So we have a 3D printer here, and we're just going to print out your avatar and send it to you. Oh, that's um, awesome. Okay. That's <laughs> well, I hope you're able to pre-order <laughs> and get that before we increase the price. <laughs> Just kidding! I'll send it to you for. We're such big fans. Do you guys do you know what you're gonna do as far as um as far as like a pricing structure? Um, is it gonna be something that you could just that you buy into once, or are you gonna kind of go more of a free-to-play model? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's you know very well-known ways to make money in the uh, the games market, right? You have uh, the free-to-play, you have the subscription, virtual goods and services, the premium services. Um, so what we have is a, a game. We can offer it in the offline mode. Uh, that doesn't cost us anything continually to service it. But because it's also a multi-user environment, there are hard costs associated with the game. So we are currently bootstrapping um, so we don't have like big name, you know, venture people behind us where we can, you know, spend a lot of money to get lots of users and then at a later date um, do uh, virtual goods or premium upgrades. You know, that could be an option if we do, um, you know, find a very wealthy patron out there. If you're listening, please give me a call. Um, but right now, we're very practical, right? So we have costs incur on our server per user. And the way it's architected, it's quite low. Um, but nevertheless, if we have millions of users, um, that very low, low cost multiplied by a million users can add up very quickly for a tiny company that's giving away things for free. So we want to be focused on the end user, the players, give them an awesome experience. But uh, we also need to take care of ourselves as an indie dev shop without a wealthy uh, venture patron um, who is, you know, kind of subsidizing that and allowing us to go for that. Um, that very well-known free-to-play, then upgrade and virtual good model. So we want to be open to that for sure. But right now, um, we're doing basically, hey, it's early access. You know, uh, you're backing us, pledging us, you're you're donating to us, uh, and you get early access. And after Kickstarter, um, uh, please continue to pledge, donate through PayPal and fund this awesome game, this new type of game where, you know, uh, it's really creating a creative platform to allow for dynamic, um, you know, terrain creation, dynamic gameplay, 
and enable the end user to be the level designer, to enable them to be the producer, the game designer. So we're hoping that people will buy into that vision and, um, and pledge at least five, ten dollars to fund further development. Um, yeah, so that's, that's our current plan. Absolutely, that works. That where it's you know especially when you know, if they like what you're doing and they they're able to to almost kind of you know like uh like tip jar their way through it as far as you know hey guys I, I really like the way you're going with this here's some you know here's some money here's some more that's that, that's a kind of a very noble way to do it yeah it's a you know it's a an indie dev strategy until you have a big financial backer that can allow you to do the um, the free to play model right and so I mean. Notch was able to do it. Not to say that we're Notch. He's a giant in the space, right? So, <laughs> but if there is a wealthy patron who's a fan of Dark Station, hopefully you have a lot of them. You're, you're taking a, calls. <laughs> do you guys take calls? Can you give? We out don't a take calls. We don't. Well, at least not right now. But you know, we do have an email. So if any of those, uh, if any of those, you know, wealthy patrons, those whales, if you were. They yeah. want to send their send us your names. We will be sure to pass that on. Please, thank you. Not a problem. At least we could do for you, uh, for you being with us tonight. Yes, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. <laughs> uh, Jonathan, you got anything else, or are we going I, for the end? I do not have anything else. I think it's time for the end game. Okay. Uh, this is uh, this is the end game. It's our little um, kind of end of interview questionnaire. Um, we stylized it after. Uh, James Lipton and his Inside the Actor Studio. So it's a little bit more personal, a little bit more geared towards you rather than towards, you know, my dream itself. Okay. Um, so hopefully you've, you're not scared. It starts out a little difficult and then it only gets harder from there. So okay. it's not really trivia, it's more just opinion. But there you go. So question number one, um, who would you consider to be your favorite video game protagonist? Oh, wow. Yeah, I love video games. Um, but working in a video game company kind of prevented me from actually playing so much. But I was just talking to my office mate about uh, Famous Iran, known as Sammy, um, <laughs> from the 80s. Yeah, you can tell how old I am mentioning uh, Sammy and Sid Graff. But, yeah, really liked... Um, you know her her character and how she's represented in in Metroid. That's really cool. I'm gonna call her Sammy from now on. That's perfect. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, flipping that coin. Question number two is who would be your favorite antagonist? Your favorite bad guy? My favorite bad guy. Well, you know now we're gonna have to go back to um, the 80s again. And <laughs> fine, take us back. Way back machine. The way, way back machine. Um, you know, just going with like another genre, arcade genre. Um, there was a um, an ice skating rink down um, down the street from me, and they had um, they had like the tabletop uh, Miss Pac-Man, and so waiting for my sister to finish uh, ice skating lesson. I just remember sitting there with my coins playing Miss Pac-Man all day long. Um, and I really enjoyed the ghost chasing me. 
for some reason. <laughs> that, that 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 is a perfect answer. That is excellent. Uh, third question: um, Are there any like what would be your least favorite kind of trope or theme that's uh, kind of pervasive in video games today? What would you like to see kind of changed or just kind of moved away from? Hmm. Well, you know what I. I really believe that there is uh, something for everyone, so I'm just all about having more options, so I just love to see more options for women, for girls, especially um, in the RPG genre, the first person view genre, and um, yeah, and I brought a little bit of that perspective to Mind Dream Interactive. I try not to be too... Um, heavy-handed about it <laughs> and keep it, you know, uh, fairly white, but yet still, you know, uh, have uh, some influence in the, the design of, of the virtual world and, like, the gameplay. Uh, but, yeah, I think, like, the best game, just like in life, the best systems are, are quite open, and you want to encourage certain behaviors and not outright ban um you know, certain things, and uh, there, there needs to be some shade of gray, and I just know from my experience, um, so now, again, validating how old I am and my wisdom, that, you know, some of the brightest people, smartest people I know have um, a tendency to go on the darker side, and so I feel if we totally ban certain behaviors, then, you know, we lose out on some of that um, intellectual capacity and uh, wit and humor that certain personalities will bring into a game. And so I love the idea of uh, using an RPG system, for example, to encourage certain behaviors um, and so that in the long term that, um, you know, certain behavior just will then... Uh, uh, be encouraged, and if people cannot change, then they will leave the system. But without being a uh, a dictator and you know outright saying no X, Y, or Z, um, you know, if we're doing a virtual world, and if I'm you know one of the main designers and creators, I would like to kind of live in a world uh, like in the real world where it's it's open and it's um, uh, you know, there's a lot of freedom and liberty. That was an amazingly presidential answer. I, I like that. <laughs> that was very nice. Very well handled. I'm running for office. <laughs> <laughs> but if she does call for me to be her running mate, then um, please, please give her my email. If we get any kind of message from Hills, you will be the first to know. Hills, Hills. Trin, right. uh, Gabe Newell, please Anybody. forward. Yes, forward them directly to me. <laughs> Will do. Uh, the next question is actually a little bit of a two-parter. Um, the first is, what's the most amazing thing you've seen built in my dream so far? Oh my goodness, I, I don't think I've even posted it on Facebook, but I just saw uh, one of our. Uh, super builders uh, make uh, just like some amazing structures. One of them was uh, a recreation of Sparta, um, mm -hmm. and uh, there are floating islands on top of Sparta. 
So I love that mashup of the historical context, um, the, the use of these Greek columns, kind of really uh, displaying our vast uh, building library, and then also this kind of post-apocalyptic chain island to these ancient structures. It's kind of blowing me away. I'm going to have to email it to you guys. I, I literally have been going from meeting to meeting, interview to interview, and then I just saw that pop up. I was like, wow, what the beep beep is that, <laughs> right? So it was, it was really amazing. And then there was um, someone made this super modernistic structure that looked like it just... It was it was an actual picture of you know Abu Dhabi at night with the lights because we have these colored light orbs, uh, very beautiful ambient uh, atmospheric uh, light at night. It just really felt like you know the world was alive, and I was just seeing a snapshot of it on HipChat uh, in passing, but um, it instantly caught my eye. So check our Twitter and our Facebook feed. I'm going to be posting that uh, later tonight or tomorrow morning if the Dayquil doesn't... Uh, <laughs> it doesn't get you first. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. Uh, second part of that question is with a lot of creation games, it is inevitable that people will create um, Super Mario Brothers level 1-1. Has <laughs> that happened yet? No, I don't think it has. Okay. So we're starting the timer now. Okay. It will eventually happen. We'll just see how long it is till we hit 1-1. So there we go. Okay. Uh, next question. Um, if you could do... You've you've kind of been around the world with the, the engineering and now making game development. Um, if you could try any other profession, no restrictions, what would you love to, to give a chance to? Wow, if you ask me, <laughs> now that's opening a Pandora's box because I would like to try everything, but <laughs> what I always wanted to do was go into outer space, so I would love to have a chance to be an astronaut, to go to the International Space Station and um, work on important you know, scientific um, project for... Um, a national government, hopefully the United States government, not someone else, but if someone else is uh, going to engage my services, then I wouldn't mind as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, according to Kickstarter, a certain uh, Lord British has, has, has given you guys some stuff, and I hear yeah. he's into space as well. So <laughs> He is, actually. Yeah, so... Um, he he is. He's been to space, I believe, yes. mm -hmm. and he's made a whole movie about how he went into space and how he uh, he went back into making uh, a, a new game to fund his space adventure. So he's very driven by these grand adventures. So yeah, I have a lot in common. Um, I hope with Richard Garriott, he's a giant, I'm a nobody, but I still think in my mind's mind that I have a lot in common with him, and yeah. so maybe it will actually happen one day. Excellent. 
Excellent. Well, fine. here we go. We're going to get to the last question. Um, and this one, this, this one, yeah, we'll, we'll just go to it. Um, at the end of our life, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom, and Toad greets us with the Book of Our Deeds, what would you like him to say to you? Hmm. Well, this is after a lot of Dayquil. Um, yep. Yeah, feel free probably to the best. Yeah. But this best possible answer comes after Dayquil. Yes, yes. Oh, gosh. Uh, I would just say, um, the princess is in another castle. Princess Buttercup is in another castle. Princess Buttercup? Okay. All right, that, that's, that's a good twist on it. So. <laughs> this is not the princess you're looking for. <laughs> nice. I like where that, okay, I like where that's going. <laughs> you got the wrong person. I'm not here. <laughs> you're in the wrong game. Sorry. That's it. <clears throat> All right. Well, that's you. That that is our end game. You did it. You passed. Jonathan, tell her what she's won. <laughs> You have won our eternal respect. Congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, I had such a blast. Oh, we did too. So, yeah. thank you so much uh, again for, for joining us tonight and talking about my dream. If you could just uh, send us out by telling our listeners where they can go to find out more information. Yes, uh, they can go to mydream.com. Um, and even though the Kickstarter project will have ended, um, we will have a new... Um, uh, option up on that same site for them to back us and that site is mydream.com backslash kickstarter awesome well thank you so much again and we wish you the best uh, in the, the coming months with my dream and hope everything turns out amazingly thank you so much Jonathan and Brian good night good, good night. night sleep well feel better Thank you for thank being you. with us, even though they, all the Dayquil. Cool. <laughs> thank, thank you, Dayquil. Thank you, Hill. Thank you, our Kickstarter backers. This podcast brought to you by Dayquil. Cool. That's right. <laughs>